So, what is it that you love about being black? That's a great question, Nanny Kena. I love being black because I'm different from everybody else. And the second reason, because black people can do anything they set their minds to. What I like about being black is just freaking amazing. We we are amazing. Every day is a good day for breathing. My black. favorite part about being black is uh, the originality. Love being black because I can put my hair to different shapes and sizes and nobody can ever tell me how my hair can be. I do like the food. When people say black girl magic, that's for real. That ain't just because because we just want to say that. It's real. We magic. We, we are so unique in everything that we know. Go ahead, say it. Please say it. Please say black. Please say, Please stay black. Please Please say, say black. Please stay black. Please stay black. As I always was black. <laughs> <laughs>use the adjective delightful often but when I do I mean it and today's guest my friend Tommy is extremely delightful and I am so pleased to offer up this amazing conversation for your listening ears my friend Tommy is a spiritual guide a community nurse a DEI trainer a musician an artist so many great things but most of all deeply committed to joy and rest and ease. And so today's conversation about Black joy is so uplifting, and I hope that it amplifies a need in your life and touches your spirit in deep ways. See you on the other side of the episode. Please say Black, y'all. I am here with the illustrious, the beautiful, the charming, the magnificent, the sexual oh, chocolate. This oh, is my oh, friend, Tommy Alton. <laughs> and I'm going to try so hard to be on my best behavior, y'all. I'm blushing it's, already. <laughs> it's hard to be on my best behavior with Tommy because Tommy is a, such a dear friend and they create so much positive emotions for me in this life that is so hard in so many ways. So Tommy is on the call and Tommy is the co-host of Permission to Be Podcast, is the curator, the, the thinker, the founder of The Collective, an organization created for BIPOC support and mutual aid and learning and growing. And Tommy is all over the places doing so much. They are a caregiver. They are a nurse by trade. They are a spiritual guru. I mean, there's not a lot that Tommy is not doing on these streets. Aretha Franklin's internet is blessed. <laughs> blessed with a D because you exist, my beautiful friend. Welcome to the podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so, so humbled. I'm just, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't you didn't know I was gonna hit you with the sexual chocolate though. No, you oh my God. <laughs> sexual chocolate. 
we are here for it. We are here for it. I will. T- I receive them flowers. I we receive it. We give the people flowers. Yes, while they do. Okay, so I introduced you, but tell the people who you are, friend. Yeah, it's so funny. You you said spiritual guru and some other terms, and like like I I don't think those things are necessarily incorrect. It was just really funny. It's always funny to um, one of the things that we I was like just say, say these two things and we'll go like because I love to see how I'm reflected in other people that I'm in relationship with um so that's so interesting and I think that like it's interesting because also all these words have like terms and so for some people that might hear guru that might be triggering for them and there's can be some abuse associated with that especially uh gurus that go against the main culture or or uh accepted knowledge about things that that can create harm so I I generally will say I am a spiritual guide a spiritual journeyer uh i like to say i'm a nurse of the people now (laughs) and see i did try to put the like i try to make it like past tense you know like like you know in a previous life yeah so this life yeah right because one of the things is i'm not i went to uh uh this dominant culture education to receive and did all this hard work to receive them credentials. So I'm about to use them credentials. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so like that, I, that's how I show what, what that means though, with uh, sort of taking this nurse of the people uh, kind of role. If you think about a public theologian, um, one who does theology publicly wrestles with ideas of the divine and God publicly, I thought about what would it look like, not necessarily to be relegated to the uh, realm of public health, but nurses are also educators. So what would it look like to educate from a holistic wellness perspective? Um, and integrate a lot of the things that we leave out often in healthcare, especially conversations around racism and sexism and how that shows up and how it costs lives. So there's that. And then the All Good Collective, um, we can talk more about that, is this baby that we are nurturing. Yes, it is my idea, but I don't view myself as the sole founder or or carrier of that, um, trying to move to a more collective idea um so yeah and that just makes me think of like black church and black church when people would have dreams and the one person would go and tell the people about the dream and they would make a collective interpretation of the dream so like that's kind of what I look at the all good collective like is like what collectively what do we see does this thing need to be and and let it grow you know so my my interest is helping to end oppressive systems and uh educating from a variety of different perspectives to shift mindsets um, but also to practice life interdependently with one another so that's the that's a little unpacking but we can get into any of of what you want to there no i think it sets us up for why we're having this conversation we really want to create an opportunity and this is one of those times where like I almost feel like I wish I were on a radio show and I can say caller number two give us your question right but part of the reason why I felt like it was so important to have a conversation with Tommy is because Tommy is someone who frequently shows up in my life reminding me they constantly remind me of 
the reason why rest and joy is so important in the work of liberation. So I wanted to create an opportunity for people to learn from you the things that I've been learning from you for a while now. Tell us, if you had to define Black joy, right? If you were like, if Webster called you and said, Tommy, define for us what Black joy is, what would it be? Oh, Webster can't do that. (laughs) See, you're the perfect person for this conversation. Nah, Webster can't do that. That definition would be a little too long because to understand joy, you got to understand my pain, okay? And preach, it's okay, 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 okay. <laughs> preach, preach it, preach it, preach no. it. See, I don't know if you, like, we have not scripted this. You did not let me know that, but I have an answer because, listen, to understand my joy, you have to understand my pain. And I and I think that people really don't un, like they're like, well, why can't it just be joy? Because you don't you don't know what it took to get here. It's time for the blackest thing. It's time for the blackest thing. Made it out the neighborhood, made it to the pros. Head, shoulders, knees, toes. It's the triple threat. Something you don't know. What's the blackest thing you've done in like the last week or so? Okay. Okay. So that's real easy. Um, For context, the spiritual community that I am currently a part of and and call my spiritual home, uh, we are on a journey of inclusion and diversifying and interrogating the ways in which they've shown up in the past, uh, the ways in which they've caused harm. And so there is one of my good friends is on the teaching team. He happens to also be Black. And they said this was not orchestrated, but he was the first talk uh, for Black History Month. He gave me a call the night before and gave me a sneak peek of what he was talking about. And I was like, bet I'll be there. Fine. Like, whatever. (laughs) And so Cedric gets up on stage and you know i don't know if 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 people are you know listeners you know black church right but then white church is very like quiet sometimes or it's not i mean call and response is not a thing (laughs) it's not not a thing it's It's not a thing i went full call and response up in that mofo (laughs) you were like i I feel it the ancestors feel it I, and I swear me and Cedric were feeding off of each other because like... Well, I mean, wasn't Cedric <laughs> preaching about black love? Black love, yes. How could you not have yes. that full, th- yes. like, full on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then Cedric just has a way of being deeply invitational, but rooting the experience in blackness um, and inviting other people along and what that means and so it it was oftentimes I feel in that space um I have like a contentious relationship I always say I grew up at the intersections of Jehovah's Witnesses Black Church and mainline Christianity and so there's often this tension um and ever since I've read uh Barbara Holmes Joy Unspeakable that she talks about all these practices of the black church every time i get the opportunity i'm about to be like i'm going all in we're gonna be shouting hell if i need to i'm about to run around this piece (laughs) so basically so basically the blackest thing you've done recently is be super black at church that's right (laughs) 
<laughs> That's right. <laughs> Which leads us to, I think. Like, I love Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. Because, like, when you ex- when you have been exposed to so much, I'm Still Here is a... St- as a defiant liberative declaration and is saying you can't you can't you tried but you try to take me out but you can't right and so one black joy is is resistant to that right and i know that we get real tired of being resilient and i'm not here to say that people have to be resilient but when we look at the overall story of blackness it is rooted in this resiliency and so i think when we when a helpful thing for me when i'm considering joy i was taught that if uh uh to borrow from my uh chinese uh, medicine siblings that if you think about our emotions on a wheel joy is at the top of that wheel and then and it's symbolized by fire and then you have all these other elements that represent all the other emotions but joy was not just happiness but it was the ability to move through all of these emotions and to return back into the state. And so we often look at fire as destructive, but fire is also creative. And so when I think about joy, I think about this eternal burning light in us that's both destroying systems, but also creating worlds. And we get to celebrate that with one another. Uh, so for me, Black joy is, is both in that destruction, in the creation, in the suffering, in the resilience is the ability to, to be in the pain and not be defined by the pain. I think that's beautiful timing, which kind of makes me think and reflect. I mean, not to overstate the obvious, but do we live in a world that centers and supports our joy? Oh, hell no. <laughs> right? Like the fact that we even have to call it Black joy, right? <laughs> is an act of defiance and and resistance it 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 because it we we, we have like and the only reason blackness exists is because it was imposed upon us and not just that it was imposed upon us intentionally we've been rel- tried to be relegated to aspects of society that says that you don't get to experience joy you don't get access to resources you are not worthy i was i was doing another interview and i love thinking about black history month because at the foundation of black history month is saying that we get to be humans too we created this when at the foundation of America, the cent- the central question was who gets to be human and who gets to decide who gets to be human. Who's ready for some Black history? This is your Black History Moment. At the time of this recording, we're actually in Black History Month, but Black history is being made all the time and you are Black history. So I want to ask you, what Black history have you made of late? Mm. You know, I think this might be simple, but like quitting my job, honestly, you know, and I know like contextually we're in what people are calling this period of the great resignation, but really quitting my job was more rooted in liberation of myself, recognizing that I was operating in a system that did not value uh, my contribution nor my body, uh, was deeply transactional and not really in the 
pursuit of health as I would like to see it. And so I think a Black queer person quitting their job who grew up, you know, I don't like real close to poverty, but still in the middle class, me being, you know, easily a check away from financial devastation. Uh, I think it was a revolutionary act to um, love on my people, you know, to show like, we don't have to keep doing this hustle and grind culture, y'all. And so I, the out of that, the All Good Collective was born. And I'm gonna say that's a piece of Black history. <laughs> <laughs> And I think the time that we're most engrossed in Black joy is when we don't have to be in the gaze of anyone looking at it. And we can just be free, just like in the hush arbors. Now, I love that amazing tidbit you brought into that. Because when you say hush harbors, it makes me think of the Black church. It makes me think of the ancestral church where joy was found in this kind of, I don't even want to use the term subversion, right? But it would be amazing if you can kind of expand on what hush harbors are and why that was the a, a huge a huge component of our ancestors, our enslaved ancestors experiencing joy. Yeah, yeah. The hush harbors, I think, to ground us in, in a contextualization when we were enslaved and then bought here um our belief practices the ways in which we were in relation to the ground in relation to spirituality was taken from us and vilified and so just think about for a moment how many of us uh wrap our identity up into some sort of spiritual practice and so the trauma of having that taken away from you but then not just that because again you don't get the full privilege of being human as an enslaved person so you don't get to visibly express joy you don't visibly get to show your happiness and so you find spaces when away from the master's gaze to release the pain to celebrate right to participate in something that was outside of yourself, that that held you through. And what's so beautiful about Hush Harbors is that they were like these secret informal like meeting places of worship where they would bring their own knowledge of spiritual practice, right? Where there would be a blending of both the Christian theology, the Christian embodiment of things with those African spiritual connections. And it was, again, I keep going to subversive, but it was, it was subversive. It was a way to say, even if you're saying, I can't read this part of the Bible, right? But I can still find a way to, to, to both think, reflect, and then act on what my spiritual beliefs are. And it's powerful to think, you know, I know you've heard this. I've definitely heard it. People talk a lot about like, there, you know, there wasn't a lot of resistance you know, which that's a complete lie. You know what I'm saying? We'll yeah. probably never know. There was not just one Nat Turner. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? There right. there was so many people who 
physically, but in this regard, spiritually resisted dominant narratives, the white gaze, the 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 dehumanization that comes with living in an anti-black world. And I think have we like I don't I don't think we think deeply enough sometimes about the fact that a lot of our uh ancestors were uh illiterate illiterate I don't know which one we should use there but so just think about that right like if we're saying that you have to read scripture to have a relationship with God then who got to have a relationship with the divine right so for all that you know I'm gonna invoke the movie Harriet for all Maybe we have the, feelings about Harriet and because right, we, this, for, we this is a black podcast with black people for black listeners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we can love we can love the thing and question the thing and side eye it. You know, there's love in a black side eye. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> it, what you doing? <laughs> what what what's, what's going on over there? <laughs> so right. So for all the problematic uh issues with that movie the thing that I do appreciate and took away and that was kind of opened me up was holy shit we've had this really deep relationship with the ground like Harriet Tubman was illiterate and just the scene of her falling upon the ground and just the heart's prayer that is illustrated there to me that was so powerful and liberating because it takes us out of the white supremacist theology of inerrancy of of one way to interpret scripture um and puts it back onto the body when you say that the ground it makes me think of um people listening to this episode to say they done went from joy to hush harvest to heart to critiquing harriet because this is what happens when tommy and i are together we just go all over the place (laughs) but you know one of the joy practices I created for myself last year was I became, I don't like calling it, I don't like that phrase a plant mama. I don't like the term owner, right? Like all of that stuff. Like I have a dog. I don't really refer to myself as a dog owner. I have a whole theory that I was never supposed to own my dog in the first place. I don't think I've ever told you my theory about why wolves got domesticated. <laughs> We're going to say that for off camera. But... <laughs> Needless to say, I don't really, I don't think humans were supposed to own things. Like, I just, I think ownership is colonial, you know? I think we were created to be divine stewards, right? Mm, Stewardship and ownership is not the same thing. I'm supposed to take care of and nurture and protect the things that I've been given access to, but I'm not supposed to own stuff. But that's neither here or there. So, became a plant person, Okay. And, you know, there's some plants that didn't make it to, you know, on this side of heaven, but some of them, <laughs> you know, some of them, you know, the Lord, well, let the Lord watch, but a lot of them have survived. And Tommy, even look, you like returning to, so, I mean, obviously I'm not like in a big field, right. But like even putting my hand in the soil, right. Brings me so much joy. Yeah. And we are agrarian people. We are hands in the soil, planting the seeds, watering, moving the earth people. And one of the things that enslavement did is it made that traumatic. Listen, I grew up hating everything, gardening, 
anything yard work. Hated it. Hated it. Never knew why I hated it so much, but I knew that I was like, nah, my ancestors had to do that, and I ain't doing that. A part of Black Joy to me is like returning to these things, mm -hmm. right? And we right. joke, right? We joke about stuff Black people do. Add this to the list. Black people don't F with water. We don't swim. And for years, it's like this running joke, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you become aware, the more power you like, there's a reason why bodies of water can be traumatic, right? Yeah. We're not, I mean, yeah. not only are we talking middle passage, but even in the United States, when we think about segregated pools, yeah. black People, children. You get in the you, pool and everybody get out like you got some sort of disease. Oh. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> or better yet, you bring your black ass into the public pool and then your family might be uh, ran out of town mm -hmm. because you were the Crosses burning in your front yard. Because you yeah. wanted to take a, a dip in the pool on a hot summer day, right? Mm -hmm. And so I see these movements of black people saying, we're going to learn to swim. We're going to learn how to plant plants. And yeah. it feels like we're returning to the stuff that is ours. Yes, yes. You know, because and, it's been taken away. Like you, when we think about the things that we lost, right? Those are, those are things that, that we are such a deep, deep and tra traumatic loss. And it gets passed down. There's a field of science called epigenetics that deals with- well, Hold on, y'all. Let me tell you, this is the part where you as a listener, if you don't got no Kleenex or a paper towel or a roll of tissue, you might want to grab it because Tommy will make you cry. <laughs> not on purpose. Thomas ain't like, you're not out here trying to make people cry, friend. But well, okay, epigenetics. You know, as our ancestor Cicely Tyson said, go on now. Get let it out, child. Tears cleanse the soul. <laughs> so yeah, if y'all, but uh, there's a field of science um, called epigenetics, and it deals with the way that trauma is stored in the body, or genes are expressed based on the environment that they are in. And so, um, over on Permission to Be podcast, we got to interview Dr. Hillary McBride, and in one of the first episodes, she talked about the study where they um, exposed mice to cherry blossoms. And every time they were exposed to cherry blossoms, they were delivered a shock. And when the mice had children and they exposed the mice's children to the cherry blossoms, they had the same physiological fear response as their parents who were actually shocked. And that went on for about four to seven generations so just think epigenetically we've had some changes because it, it, it's not about you know i'm not saying i'm not making the claim that our biology that this is our biology but what i am making the claim is that our environment affects our biology and that is hard science right and so just think about our environment today and what has not changed and what traumas and triggers we are still being exposed to, it makes sense that we would be afraid of things like water and swimming and uh, uh, not have a resistance to farming or cultivating with the ground or certain aspects of manual hard labor because we're reacting to the things that were passed down to us, that memory that we carry in our bodies 
that is from our ancestor. Well, and I always tell people, Tommy, I say, I might not know what it means to be a Black woman in 1930, the 1935 South, but I was in my grandmother's body that experienced that. Mm. And mm. that's powerful, right? Mm-hmm. Me and mm-hmm. my mom, my mom that is in her. Yeah. And, and the so sad part I, is we know this, right? We know this, but we needed this field of science to tell us to validate it, right? That and, knowing. Okay. And I, I love to say it's like that ancestral knowing. I say Black women be knowing, like pay attention, right? And there's a whole wealth of books out there. You know, The Body Keeps the Score is one, My Grandmother's Hands. These are both really good resources to talk about, like generational trauma mm-hmm. and also generational trauma responses. Mm-hmm. And so I, how do the young people say I was this year's old when I found out? <laughs> but I was actually reading my grandmother's hands. Shout out to Resma. Uh, am I saying that right, Resma? Yeah, Resma Menachem. That's a slow read, y'all. Be gentle. Look, look, baby. Because <laughs> look, I closed the book and I haven't opened it since. And the book is great, y'all. So this is not a critique of the book, okay? You should get it. But it's one of those things that'll lay you out. And I was reading about collective trauma responses. And so I'm reading the book. And I came upon that part-time about collective trauma responses. And I said, well, glory be. This will explain why when one Black person start running, we all running. We ain't asking no questions. We ain't doing no investigations. Mm-hmm. We running. And then Survival. we we, we going to keep running, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? And people yeah. look like, what, what are they running for? We ain't doing no facts finding, right? We ain't about to, we're not stopping anybody and saying, hey, why are we running? What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> no. <laughs> Run, ask all, questions later. <laughs> look, and then we all running in the same direction, right? We all like, <laughs> we can laugh, right? Yeah. But it's also like, like, like in my mind, it's like that's that explains that. That is a collective trauma response. Well, hi there. But then I closed the book and I haven't opened it since. So I was like, I'm not ready. Yeah. And yeah. that's a book I, I I'm like, do that book in community to have somebody to hold you because trauma healing work is is often a reopening of wounds. And our bodies react as if we were experiencing that trauma again, uh, just as we remembered it. And I think this is why, as part of my own healing process, as I, as I, as I move internalized anti-blackness out of my life, right? And notice I said, move it out of me, because it's mm. in me, right? Yeah. And that is not the conversation we're having today. But in in terms of me returning to myself, that knowledge of collective trauma in the individual psyche and what that means for the body and the soul and stuff is why I, like, I feel like I have three models, right? One of them is I ain't about to let these white people kill me. But the second one is I'm not about to police black people in an anti-black world. And so at this point in time, it doesn't matter what the hijinks are that are happening. I'm just like, I, I look, going back to the Harriet movement movie, I didn't tell people not to watch it. You know, I was just like, I'm sad that this Black woman who directed this film felt like this is the direction it had to go. But that's her Black business, right? Because of how much we have constantly had to lift up and lift through, right? Mm -hmm. 
And I think this is another component of Black joy is really making space for other Black people for their hurt, for their trauma, for their pain, and learning how to not see that as violent, learning how to say, you get to have this. You get to, you know, like one of the things we talk a lot about is like poverty, the poverty mindset. And, you know, at the time of this recording, let's just keep it a buck. We about to, I don't know what to call this time of year, but it's tax season. All right. And so my mom and I were having this conversation. I was like, you know, Walmart. Ooh, can I say Walmart? I don't got no lawyers for the podcast. A place that sounds like Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, just, I mean, what they, like, they, they, like, like we rolling in the dough just yet anyway. So <laughs> I don't need Walmart coming behind. Oh, I said it again. So I said, you know, unfortunately, well, and I don't even want to say unfortunately. I don't even want to give it a caveat. But I was like, this is the time of year where people are gonna be coming out with the new J's and new screens and stuff. And so I've already seen some really kind of like like anti-black statements made about baby mamas and stuff i'm like this is really unnecessary right because however black people want to spend whatever they get for first of all in time you've heard me say this before i don't even know why people paying the fed but that's a whole nother conversation <laughs> i don't even know why any black person in the united states would ever write a check <laughs> to the irs reparations today reparations tomorrow all right Either either you write the check or they're going they're gonna find a way. <laughs> so I get it. I get why people pay the I'm like you. I'm trying to be like, listen, there was a Boston part tea party that was to do with taxes. So look, look. I'm just saying. <laughs> so during this tax season, don't be anti-black on the internet trying to figure out why so-and-so bought a TV. It's a black business, right? Yeah. But part but also, of that, yeah, yeah, there's so much there, but keep going. There's so much yeah. there. So part of Black Joy is just letting people mind their back business and not feeling like you have to critique or shame people for how they experience life and how and the coping mechanisms that they've used, right? Mm-hmm. In a world that constantly lets black folks know you could get it any day, anyhow, however it can come to mm-hmm. you, then if I just feel like I gotta live for today, which we could talk about the the that what that means, but I can't blame folks for feeling like they gotta live for today because you you never know, right? Yeah. And so we're trying to build resistance. We're trying to build joy so we don't feel like we have to live under siege all the time. But for the Black people who that's their everyday life, I can't blame them for that shit. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. And there's just, there's so much we can, we can go from there. I just think about what's happening in our bodies in a consumerist society that we're socialized into these behaviors and one thing that's been helpful for me is to release the judgment of it right and to see it from a very deeply human and deeply what is happening in our bodies what is happening biologically to us and so there's something happening to the person the black person that's offering the judgments and operating from the anti-black perspective and there's a something happening in the body of the person that's consuming or buying the jordan or, or 
for the product, right? Because when we buy things, think about, we call, we call it shopping therapy, right? We're releasing dopamine, which is, I'm going to call it our happy chemical in the brain, right? Perhaps if we're critiquing or, or coming from a place that feels more judgmental, our body is sending us a message of, oh, that's danger, or, or I want to help this person, but they're not making the right decisions or, and we, and we've lived through it. And so we have body memory of maybe a different way. And both of those are deeply, deeply human responses. <laughs> and they're both from our conditioning and trying to navigate and survive in the society. All right. One last, one last question, sexual chocolate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sexual chocolate. Yes. Sexual chocolate. Also, shout out to Come to America Part 2. Apparently, there was an Oscar nomination. And the internet is mad about it. (laughs) Y'all Negroes come for us every year. These Oscars so white. Here. (laughs) Make this Come to America nomination and leave us alone. And make more more of those dance videos on TikTok. That's what we want. Make more dance. Boycott TikTok. (laughs) How do we access more Black joy? That's my question for you, friend. How do we access more of it? That's such a deep question. I don't know. I think the answer is different for everybody. So let's start there. I don't think I have a monopoly on the answer. You can line up a hundred Black people and they can probably give you a hundred different answers. But I will offer that my approach is through the soma and what the soma is is not just our body all the internal functionalities of our body our body moving through space and the external things that affect our body is is the soma right and we're often primed to think of our bodies as objects or disconnect from our bodies often we disconnect from our bodies from a place of protection because the emotion is too 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 overwhelming the pain is too deep and so we numb we use substances we shop and these things are really band-aids but for me black joy and accessing it has looked like what are the things that i need to be healing from and so it's actually kind of counterintuitive it's looking at pain and going into it to go through it instead of avoiding it is having to rewire because when we go from a somatic approach and a body approach we're looking at our body how does my body create memory right and we when we think about bias and we have these implicit associations of what's safe what's not safe and our brain learns to associate very quickly but we can rewire all of that if we're doing our work if we're doing our trauma work right if we're becoming aware of our patterning and so for me accessing joy looks like what 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 is my patterning? How is that showing up? What are the ways that I'm neglecting my body? And sometimes that looks like glorifying and pursuing hustle and grind culture, right? Sometimes that looks like I need to rest, but I didn't do XYZ, so I can't rest. And being able to recognize those pa- like no rest is not something i earn it's my birthright i am creating that part that part <laughs> capitalism will have you feel like you gotta earn a nap if y'all right? don't go sit y'all sit, sit have some receipts and go kick rocks the nap bishop then told y'all lay your ass down go follow the nap ministry <laughs> if we all would just lay down for a few days what glory to be to god what would happen what would be 
Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> no, no, don't make me don't make that old Baptist come out of me. <laughs> but yeah, so so one of the things that's helped me is, is this generative somatics and going back to my body. And the reason I think that's also important is my queer identity and growing up in an environment that I was often trying to separate myself from my feelings. And so I think a big part of Black Joy is allowing ourselves to feel our feelings, right? And it's really hard. And, and we've been told that our feelings are scary. We've been told that our feelings are violent. We've been told so many things about how to sh show up respectably to our feelings. And so the first thing I say is understand your feelings. What are your feelings communicating to you? Our feelings, our emotions, they are energy and motion in our body. They are literal electrical impulses traveling through our body. No, knowing what is happening when I get triggered, like I lose access to the part of my brain, the frontal part of my brain that's responsible for rationalization. And I go into survival mode. And that, and that, 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 lip, that lizard brain, nothing good comes out of that really. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Righteous anger lives here in our prefrontal, but the lizard brain will have us abusing anger. It will have us abusing anxiety to create reaction, not response. But all those things take time and it's slow work and it's hard and it does not all the time feel joyful. Look, we ain't going to get into that because we both be laid out. Y'all, you know, follow Tommy. I'm going to, the show notes are going to include where you can follow. I hate that term, where you can support, where you can listen, where you can join in with Tommy all over. Arena also, Black Internet. people, I host a community support circle that we can yes. practice this. And it's free to attend. It's constructed on a reparations-based model. Um, there's two. There's one for everybody. And then there's uh, Black, Indigenous, uh, persons of color facing one. And so I invite y'all to come be a part of that um, if that's something you need if you just need space to process some trauma some microaggression right and I said so so much here that we didn't even necessarily unpack because we could talk about big t traumas and small t traumas and how that relates to microaggressions and go into like the formation of uh, uh, of bias and the the, the neuropath all that stuff right but I think the the thing that I, I want to say to you is that rest is your birthright and if we're not resting I think joy will be inaccessible to us so it's imperative that we root into that re that act of resistance and rest to heal ourselves. I think our ancestors are calling us to it, right? There's this spiritual energy. I keep hearing that say, especially white people say, I'm tired. Rest. Look, and see, we're going to make a, a whole new episode right here. Because if I don't, if my black ass don't do anything else, guess what? I'm still tired because I'm tired from my grandma and them. I got they tired in <laughs> You get what I'm saying? So yes. like, even if I don't, if I don't lift the broom, guess what? I'm still tired because they tired. And the when I start to realize, you know, we laugh about that, the the whole cliche, I'm my ancestors' wildest dreams. That is, that's a message in itself. I get to do. The mantle of that is on me to do the things. And that's not a mandate, but that is a blessing. That is a, that is a prayer to do the things my ancestors can never do. This is why I have no problem telling people I ain't giving no labor away for free.
because <laughs> oh that's so powerful because our ancestors did not have the option they did not feel. they couldn't say no that's why you see my black ass saying yes no consent this is why consent see this is what i'm saying this is a whole new podcast now but this is why consent is so powerful for black people and this is why when people fix their face to ask black people for anything free my response is a posture of demand all the time mm. because my ancestors couldn't consent mm. and then this is like a little side note even when we talk about black love and intimacy and relationships we gotta be careful how we f with each other in that regard right mm. because consent is so important and how, how we build intimacy with each other. This is why when I act, but that's not even romantic. It's just like even with friends. Yeah. That's why I'm so careful to be like, are you okay? Yeah. Do you feel comfortable? Do you want to do the things? <laughs> do you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Does this work for you? So because, good. and we're not even just talking about enslavement. Jim Crow, Black people couldn't say no to shit. Tommy? Yeah, yeah. right. So... To me, like that resistance, but you know, that that knowing the pain, but that clarity to say, huh, I am in a season of life and circumstance that I can be like, hell no, and create my own way. So I, I wish that. So black joy is, look, we're going to come full <laughs> circle. Black joy is being able to be like, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> and the words, hell no. <laughs> so kick rocks, kick rocks. I love you so much oh thank you so much for having me thank you yeah thanks for being had <laughs> and just pumping up pumping me up hey 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 <laughs> all right y'all time to go make those t-shirts called hell no <laughs> the hell no t-shirts look y'all find tommy on the internet like i said he Tommy is all over Aretha Franklin's internet. I forgot to even pick up the fact that you do DEI coaching and consulting. Again, there's all the things you do and more. So we are grateful. Continue to learn from Tommy, support, amplify their work. And as always, remember, please say Black. Thanks for listening to the Please Say Black podcast. And I am so excited to be your host, Joaquina Reed. I hope today's episode really connected to you in a deep way and I want to encourage you to check out the episode notes you can find out more information about me how you can support our podcast and of course find out more information about our dope guests lastly make sure you follow us over at instagram at please say black I want to leave you with this blessing from our tremendous ancestor Malcolm X that says I pray that God bless you in everything you do. I pray that you will grow intellectually so that you can understand the problems of the world and where you fit into it, into that world picture. And I pray that all the fear that has ever been in your heart will be taken out. So stay black, stay black, and be blessed. If you don't mind, I would like to get a little rest now. Catch y'all next time.